0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is
1: Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio on Sirius XM 111. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And as usual, I'm here with my co host, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the brand identity theorist, Americus Reed.
2: Barbara, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> 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 and it's incredible right the weather has been fantastic yeah t- you, i
1: haven't been outside got, but i'll take your word yes for it. <laughs> you
2: you just got in right you just flew in right i Recently,
1: came from rome
2: rome okay yes, i'm over here yes. in philadelphia you're yeah, in rome i was in rome what were you doing in rome
1: we went you know ludo we went to yeah. ludo's wedding oh nice ludo's been on the show i yes, think yes yeah. she studies a lug- luxury, luxury. Right. And did and she it do was it right a luxurious okay. wedding it was i figured that i figured as much wedding. yeah really nice that's awesome Oh, Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and we replay it several times during the week. But today we have a very interesting show lined up. We're going to talk a lot about today are influencers. Influencers,
2: you're an influencer, right? Oh, I see. Who should. do you influence? <laughs> <I don't laughs> you got you got tons like of, of followers yeah. and stuff, right? But we're also the talking book just about how to, every, how to
1: monetize it, which yes. I'm not quite <laughs> at that <laughs> Everyone, level. Well,
2: I'm going to work on trying to get some <laughs> followers first before I worry about trying to monetize. But, it's but uh, pretty interesting. Influencing to see. is huge now. Yeah, it's yeah. the
1: way the it's the way things are communicated in mm. marketing. So we have some some experts on the topic Why? but let's start right in with our first guest Richard Wong welcome to the show
2: hey hey how's it going guys it's going very well thanks for asking Richard
1: so Richard you're gonna explain all this Facebook stuff and everything that Americans and I yes. are, are botching I up. know we're, we're,
2: <laughs> we're digital immigrants we, we struggle Richard we're gonna need your help today
1: so before yeah, you I'll before help. we trust you can you tell us uh, some of your background and what you know what your current position is
0: yeah, so, so my background, I've come from a world of uh, consumer goods. Uh, I worked at Procter Gamble, Johnson Johnson, and then uh, did and worked at Google uh, for the past couple of years before I joined into the world of the emerging new tech space, which ended up me uh, helped me end up at Hashtag Paid. So we end up connecting a lot of uh, social media creators, uh, influencers, as people call it, uh, with different type of brands for brand deals.
1: Yeah, so let me just uh, – I was looking at this, and I was a little confused, and you just said it. They might be synonyms, but are creators and influencers the same thing? Mm.
0: Yeah, so they – we. A lot of people use them uh, interchangeably. Um, if you talk to a lot of people who are what we call full-time creators, they would prefer to be called creators rather than influencers mm. um, because they're not getting paid to influence necessarily their audience. They're paid to create content. Influence is, is more of a result of, mm-hmm. of that.
1: So they're content creators. content
0: creators. They are content creators. And
1: is it typically video or can be video, photograph, what?
0: You know what it is anything that's on social media. so it's stemmed from like the old school days of bloggers. Um, so if you had like a blog on, on, on your website, um, you have videos with the whole you know the explosion of YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be photos on things like uh, Instagram or boomerangs or cinemagraphs or a whole suite of different types of, mm-hmm. uh, of content types.
1: So does the way it works is you create, you become a creator, you create some kind of content, you gather followers, and if you gather enough followers, you can become an influencer? Hmm.
0: That's essentially the the step-by-step process. Um, a lot of people that we've had some great successes with, they've already developed a an amazing story or they want to use uh, social media as a form of expressing themselves, uh, so whether it's... They love the fact that they they're going under a new fitness journey, and they want to be able to detail out. All the different step by step what they've mm-hmm. done, and th- meanwhile they're doing this while they're a single mom. Um, it's incredible stories uh, and mm. really becomes a rallying point and a rally call for a lot of communities. And brands take notice of these large followings that come as a result of it, and as a result they will reach out and see if they can have their brand participate and see if they can play a part in helping to support these creators to create even more content.
1: Mm. And so you're at the company hashtag paid, right? Yeah, and that. That company connects these creators with brands. That's what your, your your what your company does.
0: Yeah, so that's what we do. Uh, we have fifteen thousand creators within our creator ecosystem, and it's more than just uh, like we'll connect them manually. It's uh, we have a technology platform, mm. and this technology platform uses uh, we've done a partnership with IBM Watson with a whole bunch of other data partners and technology groups, and so not only will we be able to help. Um, connect those two different groups together, but we'll also be able to add a little bit of science to it. So, for those Ooh, brands, who are the right type of influencers? It's not just about your follower count, it's about what type of style do they have, what type of audience do they have, mm-hmm. um, what is their natural, like more than just the demographic information, but what's their psychographic? Like, what are, what are those audiences interested in, in learning? Mm. Um, as well as how do you measure the successes of your social media mm-hmm. uh, campaign? Um, that's all different things that we'll able to calculate with uh, with our technology platform.
2: Now it's interesting, Richard, because I think in some senses what you're pointing to something that's a, a sort of a uh, I want to call it a pain point, but a challenge in using this sort of methodology, and that is the difference between you know kind of identifying an influencer who has tons and tons of followers, but perhaps not as much engagement per follower versus. An influencer who has less followers but, you know, is super engaged with those followers. And so what are your thoughts on, you know, as you connect these brands, helping them understand the difference between kind of the real authentic influencer who I would think is someone who was doing the story anyway and was just intrinsically motivated to do the story and, and folks found that person versus someone who's going out there to try to market themselves so that they can get the opportunity to connect with brands. Is there a difference? Yeah.
0: So absolutely, there's a huge difference there. And I think it's an element where uh, there's not necessarily a good or bad. So if uh, if you're on the brand side and you're a marketer and you have somebody reaching out to you, that's not to say that they're not a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um, what they should be looking at is seeing if they have a natural fit from their content type, from their audience, uh, if they have a different type of tech partner, be able to dig into a bit of their data of what are their followers interested in, who are their followers. Mm-hmm. There's also this huge thing around Fake followers are people mm-hmm. just buying followers now. Um, so those are the elements that I think you have to do a bit of your homework in order to do it right. Can I,
1: ask you, now, can I step you for just one second? To make sure I understand this. You're talking about the creators reaching out to the brands. That it, it does it go both ways, or which which way is more common? Yeah.
0: So so I'd say there are a lot of these smaller creators that will reach out to brands uh, and what they call pitch their services over to these brands. Um, If you follow this space, a lot of uh, influencers have been pitching hotels uh, for Mm. free stays. Right. And with mixed reviews. Yes. Sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, It all is kind of, choose, your mileage might vary, Um, but I would say the majority of the large scale campaigns are taking place with a partner. And these partners behind the scenes—if you want to think about it as your modern-day kind of those talent agencies or the talent Mm -hmm. Um, managers—we are the in the world of entourage. Okay, I I just—I just just behind the
1: scenes. So you now use the word partner. So is hashtag paid a partner? Uh, yeah, we are
0: one of the partners that we'll work with. Okay, so I just uh, want to
1: get the – because yeah. the words are all different for me. The creator is the creator of the content. The brand yeah. are what used to be brands that want to advertise. Brands still the same, yeah. I right. guess. Sure,
2: sure. And
1: then the partnership with the content creator is some kind of technology platform like hashtag paid. Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, so mm-hmm. what we'll do is we'll be acting as the, as the connectors. To connect the brand yep. and the
2: influencers together, and, and that's what you
1: mean by partner. Agency.
2: That's what he means yeah, by partner. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm I'm clear now. Gotcha. Keep
2: going. Interesting, but what's interesting, Richard, is that you've mentioned this thing. I remember um, recently uh, hearing a story that went viral about a this one particular influencer, a, a young lady, I believe, who wanted to uh, reached out and asked the hotel if she could stay for free. Uh, oh yeah, and do you can you talk oh, a little bit about this? You that. remember this? Yeah. This is yeah, this is kind of when Ireland. it goes sideways, right, Richard? What, how, what what's going on there?
0: Yeah, so uh, this was a story that uh, exploded uh, from a, a hotel in Ireland, and it's a one where it happens very often where uh, an influencer will ask a, a hotel for a free stay in exchange for some uh, like a in exchange for. Or photos or videos or promotion on their own uh, channel, but then they'll also give these hotels some beautiful images. And so it's really just a, an exchange of services and goods. Mm-hmm. And I think what ended up happening, why it went so viral is the hotel owner completely misunderstood what the, the ask was mm-hmm. and just thought that she was self-entitled because of her follower count, that she would end up getting a large, uh, she'd get free stuff. Mm-hmm. And what really that has to be is you have to understand that these are creators that are creating content and like any type of marketer or agency, they are providing value to a lot of these different types of brands.
3: Mm. And
0: so a lot of the marketers at the end of the day have to think about what is the value that those creators can bring, whether it's great photos for their website or their reviews, or maybe it's about an honest review onto their, on, on Yelp or on any of the different travel sites itself. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all different groups that they can do is an exchange of goods and services. So can, um,
1: can you give us a sense of the spectrum of what the payment looks like? Is it anything from, do some people get paid? Some people get a discount on purchase. Do some people get free product? Is it all of those or some of those?
3: Yeah.
0: So again, it's all of those. Um, so a lot of these creator creators uh, will end up getting free products. And that's a common state of how they. a lot of them will get paid. Um, where we kind of operate this is more of when we believe creators should get paid. They are producing some phenomenal content. And a lot of these people are, if they're not doing it full time, they're doing this as a major portion of their overall week. And so we believe that they should get paid. And for a lot of the creators that are out there or anybody who wants to learn about this, they can go to our site, uh, hashtag paid.com uh, slash creators. And they can actually see a pricing tool that will give them an estimate for how much oh. they should charge.
1: Ah. Hence, right, cool. hashtag paid. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you really are uh, trying to, to go to the, 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 the creators that really are good enough and have enough of an audience so that they really can get paid.
0: Exactly. Or, and, and also teach the creators who are not ready yet um, of how to get there.
1: And how do you build audience? How, what, what's what been your experience the people who can build audience? How do they do it? Yeah.
0: So, so the people who build audiences, I think the first number one thing that everybody's always been saying is consistency is key. You have to be continuing to post mm-hmm. on a regular basis mm-hmm. um, around a specific topic area. So when people wonder... How can I find uh, the most amazing places to find uh, to baby-proof my place in the future? Uh, there's, there is at least a go-to set of people that you know who will help you baby-proof your place. Um, those are all common things that you can start to own specific type of topics. Whether it's the blog posts that you end up creating, videos that you end up creating, um, those will start to at least build out an audience and people will start to get, whether you get views or likes or comments or whatever it might be, you'll start to generate an audience there. And then the next part of this is start to be social on social media. Social media is social for a reason. Um, the main difference that we see as the difference between social media and TV is the fact that TV is a one-way communication, social media. We can talk to the people who is creating the content. And that's the dialogue that we want to start to have. And so engage in those communities, follow the hashtags that are relevant, Um, be, you know, react back to the the audiences that come back to you. Instagram and Facebook, they're launching a whole bunch of new types of topics. Even just yesterday, we started seeing the like ask me anything questions Mm. that is a new feature on Instagram stories. This is a super exciting time to become a creator
1: okay so a couple things so you're saying a consistent a consistent message posted frequently and interact how important is it to include hashtags and you know at signs and reply to other people and all that stuff Do you need to have all because i see some of these postings have tons of this hashtags (laughs) and at signs and all that other stuff are those important
0: so absolutely hashtags are important because it gives an indication to the algorithms about what your content is um and that's really helpful when it comes to how you develop um, how, how you kind of help people navigate what your content is. Now that said, don't add too many of those. If you add <laughs> too many of those hashtags right. and if you see like in, on Instagram, like yes. there's a huge paragraph of hashtags. Yes. Um, you ignore Instagram, it. <laughs> as a lot of people have been seeing, Instagram has this algorithm. That's very mysterious, but this a- algorithm will essentially like, push your overall organic down if you continue to abuse some of the hashtags itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And so those are just, those are natural things that you just have to think, I'm not just going to use all the different hashtags, I'm going to use the right hashtags in the right relevant type of ways.
1: I get this impression that people make these hashtag names up. Is there like a system or classification to how to use hashtags?
0: Yeah, so I would say uh, for a lot of people who are interested, follow the type of creators that you enjoy already see what hashtags they're currently using right now, and then jump on and participate mm. as a community. Uh, these are the type of hashtags that I, I really like. And as you've seen, some of the larger creators are starting to create their own hashtags so they can create their own communities itself. And so if they have a tutorial and they want people to follow and, and share similar type of their, their interpretations of this, then that's an element where you should be um, creating your own hashtag and having your followers start to use that hashtag as
2: well. Interesting. Very, very cool stuff. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with uh, Richard Wong, who's Vice President, Marketing and Creator Relations for Hashtag Paid. He is schooling us on the Definitely. art, the game, if you will, of becoming a successful influencer, and his company connects uh, successful influencers with brands. Uh, if you're interested in joining the conversation, give us a call at 1-844-WARTON, 844 Now, let me ask this, Richard, because you gave us, uh, Barbara was pointing this out nicely, three kind of critical points for success in terms of... Of the influencer side, uh, can you talk a little bit about when you when you are uh, advising brands? What are the sort of two or three critical key points that you point out to those guys and girls on the marketing side in terms of how they should be uh, approaching this particular uh, methodology for growing their businesses? Absolutely. So
0: I think one of the first things to notice that I think a lot of people commonly make a mistake is just. Uh, choosing the influencers based on their follower count. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody has 100,000 followers... And this is um, what America's
1: point was. Mm -hmm. Doesn't
0: doesn't mean that this is... They're the right type of fit. It's You should look beyond just their follower count. You should be looking at their engagement. So are they getting a really good engagement rate? Um, are they just having a really large following with a not a great engaged user base? Well, I'd rather, as a marketer, much rather work with somebody who has a lower uh, lower follower count, but a much higher engagement rate because they're getting more engagement. Their, their content is resonating with their audiences. And that's a, going to be a really great way to really think about how you find people so and your platform
1: so can help them make those decisions right absolutely mindy from new york do you have a question for richard
3: yes oh, hi i'm listening to the show and you know i have um a 20 year old and a 19 year old and they're always on instagram and they're trying to school me in the ways of you know how to interact more and my question is this, and I'm just getting home now and I'm going to be in traffic for two hours. How do you find the time and how much time do I need to devote to actually having like a, an account or, you know, making this something worthwhile?
0: Yeah, um, I think it really depends on what type of content you're creating. Um, if you want to dedicate some time and this is something that you want to do sporadically, um, dedicate as much time as you can to it. Um, I know a lot of people who may be doing, say, home renovations and home decor, well, they don't have time to be continuing to just be on Instagram all day because they're out busy doing renovations. What mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll do is they'll do once a day mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, and they'll say, hey, I'm going live, or hey, I'm going to be active and I'm going to be around here. Uh, that's when you do your posts. That's when you do your content comments. Uh, even a lot of YouTubers, um, to be able to edit videos is such a long time. Mm. And so some of them will only post weekly. Um, so I think it's about how much you want to dedicate. And I think if you find a niche that you really love and you want to share, um, it'll come naturally, and you'll just learn how to make time
3: for it. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Mindy, for that call. Now, w- I, just to switch gears a little bit, um, you there, Facebook has been launching new tools, and I, I think they're starting out on Facebook, and they may go over to Instagram, which Facebook also owns. Can you tell us a little bit about what all, what Facebook is doing?
0: Yeah, so Facebook just launched a new... A new uh, Feature, call it, um, and it's called it the Brand Collaborations Manager. And so, what this is going to be doing is, um, this is going to be helping a lot of creators make money um, and how to monetize their their audience. Uh, if you think about YouTube, YouTube's monetized a lot of theirs through a lot of the advertising that they end up seeing. Well, Facebook doesn't really work that way, and as well as Instagram. And so, what they've been able to do is help a lot of the marketers find and discover influencers to reach out to and be able to, to figure out. So that's a new feature that they've launched. So a lot of different marketers will be able to use that particular type of feature uh, once it gets rolled out to the masses, uh, which I still think is TBD for everybody to really mm-hmm. adopt this. Mm-hmm. But this is a new feature that people will be able to discover and find influencers and be able to reach out to them and figure out what type of influencers have audiences. But one thing to really note is that that's only one, the first step of the entire influencer marketing equation. You still have to work together. You still have to figure out what the right type of creative campaign is going to be. You still have to measure the campaigns afterwards. And so it's a first great step into the direction of making influencer marketing a truly mainstream part of our marketing mix.
1: And they also introduced a creator app or something like that. Is that new too? Yeah.
0: So, so the creator app is a, another feature that allows a lot of the creators to be able to manage a lot of the content, manage their different properties and their accounts, uh, help them you know separate their personal account from their creator account. Mm. Um, the whole world, if you're a creator, a lot of these creators have their following on there, but they also have their friends that they want to just mm. you know share things that are just between friends itself. And so a lot of these creator apps um, are helping to enable those creators to make even more great content.
1: Wow. That sounds pretty interesting, all this kind of stuff. And so it's clearly, um, I I would imagine if we asked you how marketing is changing, you would say this influencer, creator, social media, what do you think? What part of a brand's marketing budget should be dedicated to this kind of activity?
0: Yeah. So I always use the rule of uh, 70-20-10. And this is a rule that was ingrained with me. Um, I call it to my classically trained marketing side where 10% of your budget is completely just like random. I want to test this and I want to experiment it. 20% things that are tested and true, but still on the newer edge of something that you haven't really done before. And 70% is that mix of like tried, tested and true. There's case studies, there's Nielsen reports, there's IFSA studies, there's all these different Mm. research groups on this. Um, We're starting to see a huge shift of, the marketing budget, accessing that 20% of their overall budgets into that 70%. And I think it will range and depend on the target audiences, how you want to bring the campaigns to life. Uh, but we're seeing this really become a mainstream part of people's budgets, um, whether it's the 30% or 40%, even 50% of their budgets. You've even seen some of the newer age, I'd call it uh, brands, like the... Uh, The Daniel Wellingtons, um, they launched a complete brand off of the backs of Instagram influencers. Mm. Um, And so they've invested 100% of their budgets inside of that. Wow.
2: Let me ask you this, Richard. So this is kind of the uh, the other side of Barbara's question. What's the... Is is there a point where this just stops working? So I would imagine that, you know, when, when influencers were first coming on the scene, very powerful and so on. But at some point, one would imagine just like anything in a product life cycle, you know, you start getting, you know, there's a hundred million people that are doing topic X, you know, and part of what might be important if you're an influencer is if you're, you're going to do the food blog, you got to know if somebody's doing something similar, that's, you know, already out there and has tons of following, uh, followers and is already established. So is there a point at which this kind of becomes just saturated or maybe a counter trend kind of happens in sort of in response to this? Like, where where does this go? What does the future of this look like? Or does, does it stop being so, you know, so effective? What what happens? Or, or is it like influencer, can, you know, continues to be strong, but different ways that it is implemented starts happening in terms of the innovation? What's going to happen in the future here?
0: Yeah. So I think this is more of an element, um, not that it's a fad, but more of it's growing up. And so... I think, in the similar ways to how we look at online advertising. If you guys, for those listeners who remember the 90s, those pop-up online be- pop-up ads, oh, and everyone says, oh, my <laughs> God, yeah, this garbage, I hate this type of stuff. You know, who would advertise online? Um, well, guess what? Now, today, there's a lot of people who advertise online. Um, I think it's more maturity. It's mm. about, really, those, those regulators, um, the FTCs come up with some fantastic... Uh, rules and guidelines to move this industry forward. Uh, Just be honest and transparent with the consumers. And I think that's the lashback you're seeing is um, people who are only in it as creators to get the money, whereas I think the marketers have to be smart
2: Mm -hmm. about
0: who do they partner up with? Mm -hmm. Where do they find this out? Let's add some some art to some science to the, to the art of influencer marketing uh, by using some data. And so I think it's going to be more of an element where we want to find the influencers who truly believe in the brands that we end up mm-hmm, promoting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're promoting Ford, well, does that influencer actually drive a Ford? If they're a Honda family, then they really yes. should be driving a Ford because <laughs> their audience knows that. And so these are the elements that I think we, all of us as an industry just have to get smarter about mm-hmm. and really learn how to cut through uh call it the proverbial, uh, the, the images or the, or the BS out there.
1: Richard Wong, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It's been a real pleasure to have you, and I really hope that you come back because we have tons more questions to yes. ask you. This is Absolutely. a very important area.
0: Always happy to join. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Sure.
1: And if you want to learn more about Richard and Hashtag Paid, you can go to HashtagPaid.com or follow them on Twitter at hashtag Paid. Up next, we'll have influencer Danielle Burstein of We Wore What discussing her life as a social media influencer. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 111. Hello, and welcome back. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing here at the Wharton School. And I'm here with my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young, Jr. Professor of Marketing here at Wharton.
2: Very excited to be here. You know, it's interesting, Barbara, we are talking about influencers, uh, influencers, uh, just a couple uh, in the last segment with, uh, with uh, Richard Wong. There's a new study out uh, at Stanford uh, done by some economists. And they basically show that uh, – it's a very interesting analysis that shows that you don't do any better – uh, in terms of influence, when you actually try to optimally target super influencers versus just randomly seeding additional people in a network, huh? It's interesting. So, yeah. like this, getting back to Richard's point about trying to figure out the nuances of what, go, what spreads and what goes viral and, and the characteristics of what really, really, really good influencers are is a big part of this puzzle that we're trying to solve, essentially. From here. the
1: brand point of From view. From the brand's point of view. Right. And our next guest, as America's just alluded to, is a fashion blogger. Her name is Danielle Bernstein. Her blog is We Wore What, and she's a social media influencer and quite successful. Hello, Danielle. Hey, guys. How's it going? You're
2: going very well. Thanks for asking, Danielle.
1: So we're going to have you. I love what you just said, by the way.
2: Which one? That you're very successful?
3: (laughs) (laughs) No. Right before that, what was just written in the article. And obviously, we could talk about that a little more. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, Okay.
1: That's great. Awesome. Um, I I think a lot of people will be in. You know, you are very successful. You have a lot. How many followers do you have today? I have about 1.8 million followers, but about 2.2 across all my channels. Wow. Congratulations. That is fantastic. That's amazing. So I need you to start from the beginning (laughs) and tell us how you got from nothing to there. Yeah. How did
2: you build this audience? you're, You're
1: what, 26 years old? I'm 26 years old. Yeah, I started,
3: oh my God, I guess about almost nine years ago now. Uh, I had just transferred from the University of Wisconsin-Madison to FIT. And, you know, most people don't know this, but We were what actually started as a street-style blog. Mm. I was at campus, and I picked up a camera, taught myself how to use it, and really wanted to show my friends back at Wisconsin how they should be dressing for school. And mm. we wore what? It was, you know, we as in the girls of New York City, what we're wearing.
1: Oh, that's so funny, because you're at FIT with all the fashion influencers, and you've got your friends back in Wisconsin who don't know anything. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
3: So, you know, I was a street style photographer, and eventually I flipped the camera on on myself and started photographing my personal style, and that's Mm. when I really started to gain a lot of followers and saw the potential of it to become a business. Mm. Um, But I was still in school. I was a sophomore in college, and so, you know, I really wanted to start focusing on my blog and see if it could become a legitimate business, and I took a semester off of school, and... I said to my dad, you know, help me hang on here in New York City. And if I if I can't support myself by the end of the semester,
1: then I'll go back to school and I'll let this go. So, and OK, so there's I'm a couple of things you said in there that I think are really interesting. So originally you started out kind of like a reporter and showing your friends yep. what's what's in, what's not in, what's style. What motivated you to turn the camera on yourself? I mean, I can't imagine I would ever quite do that. So I don't know how you get from here to there to think that you're interesting.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that I was, you know, my style was developing, and I was growing up in New York City, and so I was being exposed to so much more fashion than I had ever experienced, and so, you know, I wanted to be able to share how I was putting together outfits, and, you know, how I was dressing, and how I thought others should dress, too, mm-hmm. and when I when I started posting myself, I saw that that really resonated with my followers. People were like, whoa, that's who's behind the camera, and I, you know, I have a big personality, and I was able to start showing that, and... Mm. We were what became Danielle, or what, but not really. Like, so,
1: I so <laughs> you had a big personality. So that means it was mostly videos.
3: It wasn't mostly video. I mean, there was a component
1: to it within my
3: captioning, and you know when oh, I came out and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think I was just able to show more of me. Yeah, let
2: me let me ask a question, Danielle, to build on Barbara's point here because this is really fascinating. So. When you turn the camera on yourself and you said, now I'm going to start you know, showing, you know, you started from this journalistic perspective and now I'm going to start, you know, talking about my own style. What is your style? And like, what are the different like categories of style and what makes your approach to fashion and how you think about it? You know, how would you describe it? You know, in terms I mean, of...
3: I mean, people ask me that all the time and I really don't think there is one word to describe my style. Okay. I think my travels and living in New York City has influenced the way that I dress. Uh, drastically but you know I could one day be really edgy the next day be uptown and chic and Mm. the next day be super boho it it really depends (laughs) on how I'm feeling and I think I'm able to you know put myself into all those different roles while Mm. still maintaining an aesthetic that feels really true to me and I think my followers have been able to see that throughout the years and had followed me for advice on, you know, how to achieve those different styles while
1: still yes. feeling like themselves. So, did you, So you were talking also, you thought that what America said about that study was interesting, which suggests, you know, how do you find your influences and things? Did you kind of do kind of experimentation and see like when you posted this way, mm. you got more likes or maybe more people started joining on? Did you did you kind of do some kind of yeah. scientific yeah, experiment? I mean,
3: when I started, you know, it was a complete hobby and the blogging industry didn't even exist. So there was a group of us that, you know, are like the original bloggers that sort of made up the rules as we went along. And, you know, as it started developing more and the industry started becoming more legitimate, you know, there were laws put in place and practices put in place. Some things worked better than others and contracts changed and the way that we worked with brands changed in certain partnerships. But. You know, I think what you were saying before, you know, like the power of the influencer, what makes us so successful is that we reach such a specific demographic of Mm. consumers Mm -hmm. that are shopping. So the purchasing power is there. You know, traditional advertising is, is a thing of the past. You're reaching such a specific audience when you choose to work with someone like me that it's just so much more effective.
1: Okay, so we're going through your transition. You started as a journalist. You turned into the subject of your blog. And now you're suggesting that you started working with brands. How did that relationship begin?
3: Um, when, I, when I started having brands reach out to me versus me reaching out to them, that's when I started uh, having it become a business. And I signed on, actually, with an agency, a modeling agency, that had hmm. created a talent division, um, Next Model Management. And this woman, Jennifer Powell, who's still my agent today, She started a talent division at Next for sort of this untraditional talent, which is me and bloggers and musicians and anyone who makes money on social media. And so, you know, we did it. We worked together to start to, like, form these brand partnerships. And then eventually both of us left the agency together and she came in house with me. Mm.
1: Okay. So you are talking about our past guests talked about that, too. There's a third category in here, which is the the connector or the partner. Um, So Mm -hmm. you had an agent that helped you reach out to some of these brands? Yeah, I would have brands reaching out to me, and then I would pass
3: them along to my agent, and we would work together on the contract and the scope of work with the project. And I, I mean, I still to this day am heavily involved with every aspect of my business from the contract to you know, what the actual content will look like.
1: So without getting into specific numbers, but just how, when the first brand reached out to you, was it like for free product? Uh, how did they, did they offer to pay you right yeah, from the beginning? Yeah, you know, it
3: started as free. Well, actually, it started with me reaching out to the brand and saying, hey, can I loan this product from you? Mm. I'll shoot it for you. Let me show you what I can create. And then they were able to see a certain amount of sales from that or a certain amount of exposure. Mm-hmm. And then it became them sending me the product as gifted items. And then it became from gifted items to, hey, we're going to send you this product, and now we're going to pay you to post about it. Wow.
1: And have you ever heard of brands reaching out to people and saying, uh, not giving them free product, but just giving them a discount? Does that occur also? Um,
3: yes, but someone at my level doesn't, won't yeah, because, really
1: right. do that. But I was just wondering if it, you know, for people who are starting out, and now it's a much more crowded field than it was when you were doing it. Is that a legitimate yeah. way to start or not? Yeah, I
3: mean they would call it a PR discount, right? And I still even do that with some brands now. Um, you know, is there a PR discount, and then you can buy it. Let's see.
2: So what is it? What exactly is this? Is the typical uh, scope of work Danielle that an influencer will do? Will they? Will the contract say, think, okay, I'm going to do like 15 posts, one posts. Uh, it's it, going it to last really two varies. months. Yeah.
3: Every, every project is so different. I mean, take my partnership with CG. That's a one year partnership. That involves X many posts a month with this amount of event hosting and mm. this amount of Instagram stories and this content creation, and that's oh. a one-year contract, gotcha. and that's one of my biggest partnerships. And then there'll mm-hmm. be something where, you know, uh, Bloomingdale's will say, we want you to do three posts over three months, and it, and then we'll do a scope of work that way, or Henry Bendel wants a video, but they want a post attached to the video, and then... It really depends. And then based on the amount that a brand wants, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain, my rates can vary.
2: Gotcha.
1: So I saw a video somewhere online about you where apparently you go to these fashion shows and different brands may sponsor you and you wear their clothes and then you you take pictures of the fashion show. Can you describe that process and how you got into that?
3: Yeah, Fashion Week is one of my busiest times of years. Um, I'll, I'll go to support designers and sit front row at their shows, but then I'll also have certain projects where I'm being paid to sit there and wear their clothing and then post about the fashion show, whether it's on my Instagram stories or on an actual static Instagram post. It, um, it really depends on the brand, but it is a very busy time of year for me, and there's a lot of events, so there'll be appearances involved and in posting from events at night um, and so on.
1: And uh, how important is it that you look good in the clothes?
3: Very. I mean, I won't wear something that I don't. I, mean, I won't wear something that I don't like, and so that's a big part of why I've been successful and have remained successful. My followers trust me; they know mm. I won't promote something that I don't actually believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say learning when to say no is one of the hardest parts of my career because I have turned down a lot of money for projects that I just didn't think fit my brand. Mm.
1: And also I saw somewhere, I think, that you mentioned, and you said it too, that the laws have changed. And now you have to say if you're sponsored or not, but apparently you don't find that a problem.
3: Um, no, because I think at a certain point, you know, the honesty, my followers know when I'm being paid to promote something because I'm honest and forthcoming about it. But I think that as long as they trust that I'm not going to take on a partnership that I wouldn't want them to purchase mm-hmm. or work with a product that I don't believe in, then it'll then it's fine.
1: Then it's still fun. And one of the yep. things our past guest asked was, he said it's very important to have conversations. So, how, how do you do that? How do you interact with your followers, and, yeah. and do you find that an It's pretty hard thing? to talk yeah. to two million
2: people, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> no,
1: actually, I, I involve my followers in a
3: lot of decision-making by asking questions through Instagram stories or commenting or DMs, and, you know, I ask them what they want to see more of. Would they rather see lifestyle shots or fashion focus I see. Talk, would they when i'm designing my products for my overalls they say do you want to see this in black or white and uh, you know do you want it long or short and you know i try and gauge their co-creation their, what they want because that'll make me more successful in the end mm-hmm.
1: and so would you so, your social media you you have presence on facebook on instagram on on and you have your own blog is oh i don't know what what is yeah i mean i have a presence on all of those but instagram is where my biggest presence. is and and you use stories uh because those go away right Yes, but
3: stories are wildly successful. Mm. Um, They get seen by more people than are actually liking a post. So... We and because you have the swipe up to you know you can link to a
1: website um then you have that aspect. I I can can that I that just we... stop you there? We're these immigrants. <laughs> we're we're <remember>? digital immigrants, <laughs> so, Danielle. You're 26. Right, you so, grew up with a device <laughs> so, in your hand. All right, so <laughs> let's start with this. You got this Instagram story, and you're telling us it gets more audience than if you just posted on the newsfeed or whatever it's called on an Instagram. And furthermore, that, yeah. excuse me. I said I would argue that, yes. Okay, so and then furthermore, you just said something about swiping up and linking to a website. How does all that work? So within an
3: Instagram story, you can oh, you can insert a link so that people
1: can swipe up on your story and be
3: directed to that website.
1: And do you do that for sponsors, or you do that just because there's some websites you think your followers should look at? Both.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So how do you tell me? Talk a little bit about how you understand and maintain, Danielle, that you've got, that you're continuing to maintain a robust relationship with these followers do you track you know folks that you gain and lose and how how does this work i mean are you still growing i I have a
3: i have a pretty steady healthy growth rate of a few thousand followers a week
1: so whoa Um, that's great congratulations i have a healthy following (laughs) of one or two people a day yes that's right (laughs) if
2: if we happen to call our our friends that's right yeah yeah cousin bootsy can you can you follow (laughs) me on twitter uh oh okay no okay that's fine uh, yeah, so you got a couple thousand coming in every week. That's incredible, Danielle.
3: Yeah, so I try and speak to my new audience as well as my dedicated mm-hmm. followers that have been with me for years. Um, and it's it's really all about being real. And Instagram stories and you know, Snapchat, which I don't do really anymore, mm. has allowed me to kind of, Use that platform as the reality TV version of my life. And gotcha. then my actual static Instagram post with the photos is sort of more like the editorial
1: version.
2: I see. Uh, that's just, interesting.
1: Let me reintroduce you. Uh, we're talking to Danielle Bernstein. She's a flashing blogger where she's twenty six years old mm-hmm. and she has close to two million followers on all sorts of different social media outlooks and she's telling us about how she started just you know like you and me I guess. She could have been just a normal person. <laughs> yeah. But somewhere along the line she yeah. turned the camera on herself and became a social media influencer. Right. And brands came to her, and then you started doing. But
2: sorry, I would imagine there are a lot of listeners out there that you know are interested in breaking into uh, this influencer market, like Danielle has successfully done. Perhaps you have a question for Danielle and Barbara and myself of one eight four four. Wharton is the number one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. But go ahead, Barbara.
1: So I was going to say I didn't want to interrupt you because I'm really loving the story. I know, it's so awesome. then you started thinking about when we're now we're the camera's focused on you and you started thinking of it as almost your own re- reality yep. TV mm-hmm. show, right? I mean mm-hmm. that's kind of how you. Yeah. How you tell the story. But the
2: other interesting aspect is it you know Danielle's super successful. This is 9 years in the making though, right Danielle? I mean, it's not like you yeah. know you work you were grinding on this thing and like working this thing. I mean, people think that oh, you know, I just post some stuff and people think it's cool and then you know I'll have a a million followers. I mean, there was a there was a process that you went through in this, right?
3: Yeah, you know, my following is really the product of organic growth over those years. People always ask, you know, what's the secret sauce? When was your big break? And you know, there's been sort of things along the way that have definitely helped push my following. Um, I remember, I guess it was four years ago now, um, Harper's Bazaar, we did an interview together and they said, how do bloggers make money on Instagram? And I was one of the first people to openly talk numbers with someone on mm-hmm. what kind of money bloggers make on Instagram and how it all works. Mm-hmm. And I was at like 800,000 followers at that point, And then overnight I went to a million followers.
1: Oh, Wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, it got picked up by every publication. People were just shocked that I was talking about this. Interesting. And I was like, you know what? There is no reason to bullshit the public. Like, right. this is, you know, if anything, mm-hmm. let them use this and make an example out of it.
2: Interesting. This is to your point about authenticity, Danielle, when you were saying exactly. that your audience understands that you keep it real. And so you're not doing anything that you wouldn't suggest them that they'd be doing. And you're totally upfront and transparent about everything that you're doing. And that really helps your brand.
1: And, and exactly. S- and so, one of the things in this, re- I like this idea of this reality TV show. So, you're a fashion blogger and you you t- talk about style and things like that, but it also suggests maybe you talk about your relationship with your mother or you just had a fight with your father or something that also keeps it real because it gives you multidimensionality. dimensionality. Oh, do you do totally. things like that?
3: I, my- my blog has become so much more of a lifestyle platform mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. i talk about my travel and things i'm eating and my relationships and health and wellness and my fitness has become a huge focus and so really people are now sort of invested in my life and you know they want to know you know what, are your, what am i eating for breakfast to what hotel mm-hmm. am i staying at when i go to paris do and you ever feel
1: bad about all this like transparency in your life do you ever you sometimes you know I've done,
3: i i think that i've done a good job at keeping certain parts of my life private hmm. um when it whether it comes to my relationship or my family but i i share enough where people still feel like they're invested in my life
2: In any close calls with followers like when you're in public um sort of venues oh, or yeah. you're is that right is that you have to kind of i, I
3: mean yeah i'll get noticed on the street a lot but especially when i'm traveling i've learned to tag my location after i leave the place
1: because uh.
3: i remember i was in istanbul turkey and i was at a hotel and Um, I tagged the hotel that I was at, and I walked outside, or I had all these people commenting, we're waiting outside for you, and walked outside here, like, 50 people waiting, and it was a little overwhelming, and I didn't feel very safe, but... I've learned how to navigate through that and wow. share without oversharing at the right time.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So, okay, so we're still on your career. So, we started as a journalist. Just we turned the camera. Yeah. You went into a reality mm-hmm. TV show. You started doing the. You had a partner, or an agent that helped you make these connections with brands back and forth. And now, from what I understand, you've leveraged all of this and you design your own product.
3: I do. I have oh. so I have a line of overalls and jumpsuits called SSO by Danielle. Um, when I started my blog, my tagline was overalls are my second skin. And <laughs> so uh, it only felt natural to create a brand uh, for something that I was known for, which was wearing overalls and jumpsuits. And it's something I saw space in the market that didn't exist. And it's a niche product. And there is no brand out there that just makes this product. And so I started that about a year, two years ago. Um, and it's been very successful, thankfully. And then I also have a bathing suit collaboration that I just signed on to do two more collections with. Oh, nice. I did a jewelry line. Oh, my God. That's, kind of that's amazing. <laughs> How old did you say we're doing I
2: know. She's, uh, she's 26. Whoa. I'm 48. I, cl- I cleaned my bathroom this morning. <laughs> no. I'm, I feel pretty productive and successful, Barbara. Wow. She's in Istanbul uh, wow. designing jewelry.
1: I can't and, believe uh, you. When, did you know you had all these talents when you started? I think
3: that a lot of I mean a lot of it was it developed over the years and with me growing up I think had a big part part in that.
1: So that's an interesting thing. I mean now that you are who you are and you're doing all these things, you must do have a lot of interesting relationships and mentors that have helped you learn and develop these kinds of things. Can you yeah, talk a little I bit mean, about
3: that? Without naming names, I have some pretty big power players in my back pocket to dial when I need to. And, hmm. you know, people that have really mentored and helped me through my business decisions throughout the years.
1: And they reached out to you. You reached out to them. How do you find a mentor in just, this business? We just
3: sort of met. I mean, uh, I owe a lot of my success to being a fearless networker, and I would say networking uh. is the most important thing to being successful in my industry. Mm-hmm. And so from a very early stage, I'd say the only person I probably wouldn't have said hi to in an elevator is Anna Winter, but everyone else <laughs> was... Everyone else is totally like I was. I was saying hi. I was giving out my information. I was asking for emails, and I was following up. So wow, that's fantastic! I really fantastic. worked on creating those relationships from since I was eighteen.
1: Yeah, so being lucky is a function of actually being working, working hard. Working hard, yeah, grinding. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. have you met yeah. Anna Winter yet? Yeah, I've, I've been in the room with her a bunch. Nice, <laughs> oh, that's <Interesting>. <laughs> so is she going to retire there's all the speculation <laughs> I, I think so soon. yeah well that would be pretty interesting so what about the notion of traditional, traditional fashion scene and the new scene you know like Anna Wintour, she's old school really um, and you're talking about a lot of new school what, how have you divided up all of that kind of stuff and what done. Well, I mean, how much of you are on like, uh, you know, do you relate to these new meat to these old media magazines? Or I mean, they're not magazines anymore. I guess everything's on Instagram. But do you do you go do you connect with any of that stuff on your blog? or? Yeah, they- I mean, I'll
3: still do a lot of traditional, um, I'll do editorial shoots, and I'll still work with magazines. Um, I'll do things like I'll take over for their Instagram channels, or I'll, I'll go to their events. Um, but I think that magazines more and more in these traditional media, they're getting on board with bloggers. So they're having us come in and write articles for them or, you know, take over certain aspects of their business. And, and, you know, as time goes on, you'll just see them getting on board with influencers. It's really Mm -hmm. the only way to say it.
1: One of the things, I mean, I actually blog right now. I started blogging for Forbes.com. And what Forbes has is like this special channel of contributors where if you write enough, I guess you get paid. But a lot of them do it for not being paid. And it's just this whole network of people who are blogging. They're not professional journalists. They have their own journalists and their own Mm -hmm. editorial. But then they have this channel of bloggers, which I suppose if you get big enough and good enough, well, you'll become an influencer. Is that somewhat what you're talking about there? Or is it different? Um,
3: Yes, I actually know a few people that do that I mean but something with Forbes I was on Forbes 30 under 30 before I turned 25 and that was a personal goal Mm -hmm. of mine now I want to be on the cover like Kylie Jenner
2: (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome let me ask Um, yeah let me ask you this Danielle so in what sense is, you know, because I, I would imagine that there's there's a certain kind of pressure to this because, you know, you always have to kind of be doing, working on the next thing. How do you approach yeah. that? How do you manage that, right?
1: Can you take a vacation? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, learning when to turn it off is very
3: important. I think that, you know, I almost feel guilty if I go a day without posting, but I mm. have to realize that, and my followers have to almost appreciate that I'm human too, and Um, you know, I just went through a breakup recently and I turned my phone off for a whole weekend and people were very, very understanding of that. And it was actually beautiful to see that they were okay with me taking a break and I felt really guilty about it, but then I saw how supportive they were and I was like, you know what, it's okay to like turn it off for a little. I could imagine
1: actually you're talking about a breakup. It might be hard on other people in your life who aren't as public as you are. Mm. Is that an issue? Yes. Well,
3: talking about it with respect to the other people is really important as well.
1: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So um, what do you see in your future? Okay, you design jewelry. You yeah, have what, a line. What, what are the next what steps for What haven't you Danielle? done and what's next? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think growing my
3: brands and design collaborations will continue to remain a priority for me as well as creating new brands in the future. But, you know, I'll also continue to invest and take equity roles in certain tech companies and startups that I really oh, believe in. Oh, wow. In. I've always had a more business – I've always said that I'm way more business than I am creative. Mm. Um, obviously, what I do is is very creative, but I like to invest and, and be involved with startups and tech companies and create them.
1: Wow, so. that's fantastic. That's Good excellent. news for the community. Um yeah. And you have all this experience. I mean, you'll start being the mentor to them, I suppose, Hopefully. Yeah, that, it sounds really great. Um, so do you have any um, advice? We just have a couple minutes left, but do you have any advice for these uh, parting words for these people <laughs> who are listening and, and want to follow in your footsteps? I mean, a lot of people, I think, are scared to, to
3: start because they think it's such an oversaturated industry, which it is, mm-hmm. but you really have to find a niche. You have to find something that doesn't exist and do it, and that's really, I think, the only way that you'll be successful now because of how saturated it is. But, I mean... Going back to being a fearless networker, that is my one piece of advice that I will always give because it is so, so important.
1: Fearless networking and find your own niche. You, you can't just come in mainstreaming anymore. You really have to find a niche because it's so crowded. Exactly. Wow, pretty good advice. Well, Danielle Bernstein, congratulations on an incredible career, and I hope you reach thank 30 you. one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, guys. This is
2: really fun. Excellent. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll come back again and tell us about your next <laughs> success. And if you're interested in keeping up with what's happening with Danielle, head to com or keep up with her on Instagram at wewarwhat.